Hello and welcome to Eating Between the Lines. I am your host, Therese Martinez, and I am so happy to have you here. If you want to untangle yourself from diet culture conditioning and get appropriate, actionable options to nourish your unique life and body, I'm going to dive deep into the nuanced spectrum of health to help you figure out what to prioritize in your journey without getting trapped in the extreme ideology of health optimization or total complacency. I am here to help you apply the science effectively, not rigidly, and get you feeling better in your body and mind. Here is how to eat between the lines. Hello, welcome back everyone. I am excited today. We have got Bridget Wood on the podcast. She is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist living with type 1 diabetes in Northern Nevada. When she's not busy helping people heal their relationship with food, developing recipes, or public speaking, she enjoys hiking, spending time with family, and educating the masses about diabetes. Welcome, welcome, Bridget. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing great. And how about yourself? (laughs) Oh, doing good. Doing good. It's hard for me to, I don't know, like complain at this time of year. It's like, um, with the, with the weather, I mean, this is my, this is my season, you know? So it's like, I just, yeah, it's like, we're just getting into it too. It's June. And I don't know, I'm just not a winter person. It's like so hard for me living in Spokane, Washington. And I just, uh, this is so anyways, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, to not feel at least a little lighter, definitely have days, but <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree. Our uh, winter was a little bit more challenging for the first time since we've moved here to Northern Nevada. And mm-hmm. it, it's a good space to be in right now with the sunshine and yeah. degrees. Yeah. I'm like, this is nice. I can mm-hmm. see here in a while. <laughs> totally. Where'd you move from? From Texas. Oh, which has no seasons, arguably. So I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have um I actually have tons of clients in Texas based mm-hmm. off of um a company I currently work for Nourish. They're based in Austin, but then okay. a gal that I contracted out with before, she was also like from Texas. And so I started saying y'all after like, you know, a little bit of time. It was kind of funny how that evolved. But um, but I like I feel like I kind of know a bit about Texas just from like working with folks so much down there. What part did you live in? In Houston. Oh, okay. 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 Cool. Well, uh, welcome. Welcome. Um, I would love to just kind of dive in, start with a little bit about your background. I was very interested in having you on here to kind of relate as a fellow um, type one and registered dietitian. I am so curious to kind of see the commonalities and contrasts of our own experiences living with this condition and being in the field. Um, you know, I love to talk about the nuance of health and I just want to see what you have also seen with your, um, with your professional experiences and personal experiences. So let's talk a little bit about, your own journey with like type one diagnosis and kind of getting into the field. What does that look like? Yeah. So I was actually just talking to another diabetes about this the other day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But in terms of my diagnosis, it actually went best case scenario, I would say. Um, So I was diagnosed this summer before my senior year of high school. So I was 17. I just started working at my first job at Old Navy. So I was like three days in and like mm. the morning of like my third day, I was so beat. I couldn't even get up off the floor. And I just like called my mom and I was like, hey, like I have to go to the hospital. Um, but before that, of course, I had symptoms. We never even considered diabetes. It wasn't even on our radar. Like before then, all I really knew was type two diabetes and then mm-hmm. Nick Jonas. Like, honestly, that was that was it. And so that was it. Uh (laughs) And so we ended up going to urgent care. Um, They did a finger stick and my blood sugar at the time was only 425, but I had all, I had, you know, we're all different. We're all on the spectrum Mm. in terms of diabetes. It had all the symptoms of poly, you know, polyuria, frequent um, urination, frequent, uh, what am I trying to say? Weight loss, Uh thirst. I had all of that. 
So it was very evident that I had type one, she was like, you know, type one diabetes, went into the hospital, stayed there from what I recall was three days, but honestly, it was such a blur. Um, mm-hmm. Can't even remember. And then right after that, we had um, group classes. We met with my endocrinologist, which was an amazing setup because I had my endocrinologist and my diabetes educator within the same office. So I would just go to my endo and then go to my diabetes educator at the same time, get my labs drawn at the same time. Definitely not the same as what it is now for me, <laughs> but yeah. I think it really was um, an integral part in terms of really helping me solidify what I wanted to do in terms of my professional journey and just knowing that I wanted to help my population. Now I say that with the caveat being that when I started college, it was not necessarily on my radar. (laughs) So my intent was to do pharmacy. I was in pre-pharmacy and then kind of continuing along with my diabetes educator. Her name is Brenda. She was amazing. Um, I was like, I want to do this. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) So here we are today. (laughs) Oh, wow. So what did your, like, what did management kind of look like in the the early days and, and beyond? Like, were, like, what kind of, did you, did you get on pump right away or not? Did you, I'm trying to even remember continuous glucose monitors when they were emerging. Um, for it sure was- not around my diagnosis, but like, <laughs> were you like testing all the time? Do you feel like you had pretty good management? What was that? What did it look like? So I will say when I was at home uh, with my family during my senior year, management was fantastic with the caveat being that I was still very new. So of course, mm-hmm. we're have that kind of overlap of everything and that moon, um, that fate, that honeymoon phase that we have. But I was on injections at first, um, Novolog and Lantus, shout out to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then uh, that was basically it with just finger sticks. And then when I was going off to college, they decided to put me on the Animus Ping, which was fantastic because we had that remote bolus capability with the meter. Um, however, what I will say is that when I went to college, for some reason, my confidence level with diabetes just kind of like dropped. I was mm-hmm. just ashamed to have diabetes. So I would do very, very foolish things that I can get into the details or not. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily take as well of care of, as mm-hmm. I should have with my diabetes. Um, and then a lot of going on pens to kind of hide the fact that I had a pump and then injecting randomly. Um, so a lot yeah. of things until I was like, okay, this is not going to be, you know, feasible. This is not sustainable. And honestly, I say that I came to that realization, but really it was when I met my husband and we started dating and him showing an interest and showing me that, hey, there's nothing to be ashamed of and him actually caring and being Mm. there. That kind of gave me the confidence to take care of myself a lot better. Oh, gotcha. That's wonderful. Yeah. College is a freaking whirlwind, man. That's like, um, I don't know. I am... I see folks now that get diagnosed and I'm honestly, as much as it breaks my heart, I am glad that it is now versus a while ago based off technology, but there are still are so many of those like want to fit in, don't want to show technology, don't want to be deemed as like different or flawed. Like I remember struggling a lot with like giving injections in the bathroom in high school and like trying to hide it in college and lectures and people actually saying things too. It's like one thing to just think people will say things, but it's like definitely had people actually like, I don't know if it's like a make fun kind of thing, but it's like, it was a, a poking and um, so to speak with like the, the, the attention and the, what the hell are you doing? Like, what, like, are you shooting up and we'll, you know, whatever it is. And so depending on a person's ability to combat those remarks, I think is, um, is varying from individual to individual. And so, um, I definitely, do you see that with, uh, with what you do with what's, what's the population you work with? Let's maybe back up a little bit and talk about what you do. Yeah. Yeah. And so I definitely agree. Also, I have my own personal experiences from fellow students and friends and and professors, but we won't get into that. But Mm -hmm. I do still see it. Unfortunately, it still does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, When I worked at the hospital, it was majority of type two people with type two diabetes Mm -hmm. that I worked with. Mm -hmm. Um, And then with working with Ben, of course, that was more at your diabetes insider is more of type one um, diabetes that I worked Mm -hmm. with. But it varies, right? We see all kinds of miseducation, misinformation, things are being perpetuated. Um, I remember I did have 
someone at the hospital where she was working at Walmart and her manager said she couldn't take her blood sugar. She couldn't have her meter with her at her. She had to go to the bathroom and out of sight. And and it's Mm -hmm. just like, okay, but why? Right. It's just, you are protected. You are protected by law to have these things, these things that can avoid any type of medical emergency. And it's like, well, would you rather have a medical emergency or would you rather her just heck her blood sugar when she needs to at that moment? And it's, it's just a little outrageous or people feeling like they had to go to the bathroom Mm -hmm. and feel like they, especially in the type two community, um, there's a lot of shame and stigma. Yeah. Yeah. Insulin and, and, and medication in general, where they just don't even want people to know. And it's like, we, we shouldn't be placing any kind of blame on anyone and we shouldn't for sure be placing any kind of shame on anyone because nobody asked for this yeah. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's a little ridiculous that we're still having these fights and these these conversations when again nobody asked for this and we're all human and we should really just be banding together and supporting one another yeah yeah it's so true it's so true and so freaking frustrating to me I mean uh, in because it goes in so many different directions. I mean, I have been doing a lot of my own research around weight and mm-hmm. like the science of weight gain and like and I don't know metabolic health in general and this really enlightening like actual disconnect of the correlation around um, like fat and obesity to like actual, um, repercussions of health. Like it's so fascinating to me. And so I've been listening to, I don't know, listen to so many podcasts, but, um, have you ever listened to maintenance phase? I've heard of it. I haven't actually gotten a chance to. Yeah. In any case, they shed so much like interesting research, but in, in, in any case, it's so upsetting to see like the, the shaming that goes on and the, uh, the, uh, assumptions that are, so strong, so strong. Like we think we know like the single thing about one person based off of maybe mostly it's just like been marketing stuff that seeds have been planted and watered for us. But it's like, oh, it's just so, it's so frustrating to me and my own wiring, right? Like I feel like there's been a degree of that too. And so going like trying to untangle for my own self things that I have also done but um but you know being in the the diabetes world i think it's a little bit more natural to not have the assumptions as well as also being a dietitian there are certain things that we we know that are just not true but mm-hmm. you just see people oh, just make such assumptions about folks and it is it's just um it's not fair it's <laughs> not fair it's not fair and it uh and it definitely it's the reason why we're talking now too, and just to kind of get some of these other seeds watered so that people can have a little bit more compassion, empathy, and, and a little bit of a better understanding, um, too, of what's happening. So, okay. Did you have anything else to kind of elaborate on that? I feel like I may have interrupted. No, you're not. I, I okay. literally can talk about this all day because I've yeah. seen stories, but I, we won't hold you up. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's so many. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, okay. So I think we were kind of talking about like what you, what you do professionally. I was curious to have you dive in to that a little bit more and also volunteer. Um, I'm kind of interested in how you are involved with the, the varying communities. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a lot, I would say. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my full-time role is at Gluco. So I help manage um, partner relationships from different device manufacturers for the diabetes companies. Okay. And so with that, it can, you know, I won't go into the names of those companies, but there's a lot of, there's seven uh, large companies that I kind of interact with on a day-to-day basis, uh-huh. along with having the healthy eating and living blog with him as well. So Oh, that is a monthly blog that is done uh, that goes over diabetes. It goes over overall lifestyle. Um, it can be anything from videos, from food prep to interviews with diabetes to whatever else is the hot topic. Oh. So it's a little bit of like content creation for them in addition yeah. to like um, outreach with and otherwise with the, the companies they're associated with and they work with. Basically just managing the relationships that can be like integrations that can be like marketing campaigns, like helping working with internal teams and external teams. So it's a little bit of all of the above. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Do you so, find that there are certain things with like working with some of these companies that have shifted your experience as someone with type one? Like, I'm not sure to what degree that, you know, what you guys are talking about or whatever it is, but I'm, I'm just kind of thinking like if I were to be working with a company that I am so familiar with on the, the, the front end, back end, the, the end where you're receiving the products, right. Yeah. Um, and versus like kind of understanding what goes on behind the scenes, it might change. Like I might have a different appreciation, but I also might, or, or maybe just the experience with, you know, customer service and into, you know, like kind of working with them. Um, does that change at all? Or does it, does it just kind of like a not unrelated? Um, no, it actually does change because like, there's so much going on with all these companies and in terms of like to help foster and and grow the community and then just really be a benefit and they're always working on something and you're like this is exciting and it's like things that you can't talk about but you're like oh my gosh this is great (laughs) to kind of have that like inside scoop of things and what's to come but also just insight in terms of what their teams look like you know and Mm -hmm. they have people living with the disease and then kind of involved in these conversations and so it's very good to kind of see that and it makes you feel good and it really can explain why you know you you call Dexcom and you you get a a sensor replacement and everyone's so nice and chipper or tandem or whomever you know Mm -hmm. and everyone's so nice and you're like well this is why they're putting in the work so it is a refreshing take and it's actually been quite great to to see on my end oh cool and how long have you been working for them It'll be three years. Is that right? Two thousand one two. It'll be two years. Oh, either way, I started in September. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Cool. And then, uh, and then, what else do you do? And then I have patients or clients on the side um, with Your Diabetes Insider, so I see them as well. Oh, That's small okay. To keep that kind of fresh and ready to go. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, there's some involvement just, you know, with podcast or with connected in motion when I can to do like uh, mm-hmm. presentations and things either virtually or in person, um, recipe development con- or content writing. So I actually write some pieces for some other diabetes um, websites as well that I have. Oh, cool. There's, there's just a, a few little things, you know, yeah. probably a lot too much because sometimes I'm like ah but it's I can't get enough right I just I just love educating and I love talking about diabetes and mm-hmm. talking with the community so it's totally it's to stay out of that. <laughs> yeah yeah I can definitely definitely understand that I am someone that has a hard time picturing life in like a nine to five situation or like a one one job this is it this is all you're doing all day every day kind of a thing. Um, and so dipping your toes, I think it's the, one of the best ways to stay kind of fresh and interested, honestly, and, and be a, like be really present for clients too. So yeah. You're getting all that knowledge and it only just helps to enhance the experience for everyone. So mm-hmm. at least that's, that's the way I, I tell myself. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Um, you mentioned recipe development and cooking. I'm kind of interested in what your experience has been with food, you know, like, what have you taken away as someone living with type one diabetes since senior year and, and maybe even like, um, you know, considerations of, of how you lived, what you ate prior, how that shifted food rules, relationship with food. Like, what does that look like since diagnosis and maybe even kind of, you know, um, from before too? Right. Yeah. So before diagnosis, I don't really remember. My mom was really, honestly, she didn't let me in her kitchen to be quite honest. (laughs) I took whatever I could get. Um, But post-diagnosis, it definitely shifted a lot during college, which made no sense because none of really none of the messaging that I was getting from my healthcare team was telling me to do any of the things that I was doing yet. I was Um, so from like doing really low carb keto to like fasting, like all day, basically until after I got out of classes to like, just, just doing the wildest things. Um, in the name of what, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but I think like you said that, that marketing and things like planted these seeds where even still having my healthcare team telling me, Hey, you need to eat a balanced diet, da, 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 da. You don't need to cut out carbs, whatever. My mind was like, yes, I do. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I can't have carbs. I can't have carbs. 
And so finally, when I actually got into what was my actual nutrition coursework and saying, hey, why am I torturing myself? I don't need to be doing this. I should just be living life. <laughs> and so that's kind of where it went. It went to just more or less of a lot of restriction, a lot of uh, just deeming foods as bad when they weren't and kind of, uh, you know, taking away a lot of those not good for me habits that I did have and develop during that time and actually getting back to a healing place. And then that kind of was when I was in my apartment and college and I could like cook for myself. So that's really when I started cooking was in college. And so like just trying new recipes, doing like different balanced meals and all that, that really kind of helped to heal the relationship as well. Mm -hmm. um, and then even more so kind of getting into my role as a diabetes educator and registered dietitian and kind of seeing, well, why are we still telling people that they need to have 60 grams of carb at each meal or 45 grams of carb at each meal? I'm not doing that. And mm -hmm. I'm fine. <laughs> like no one I know is doing that and they're fine. So we need to change and make this more realistic because it's not. And it's, it's really, again, reinforcing those that those outdated practices, but yeah. also aren't really necessary. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It is just an odd world to navigate. I I was just talking um, to a, another RD about mm -hmm. this, and in, in my most recent other episode, actually. Um, but she was we were just kind of talking about navigation of like the wellness industry and diet culture and like honestly being RDs and having the full intention of creating healthier individuals right folks if you work with like whatever population you work with right if it's folks with type 1 if it's that folks with type 2 if it's like general public whatever like you are a registered dietitian because you have intentions of helping people with their nutrition and imp improve their health mm -hmm. and it's really tough sometimes because you want to stay up with all of the, the, what is the most healthy, what is the most beneficial. And then you can start to also kind of internalize these, this messaging that comes here of like, just from all different angles. And I feel like it's kind of, I've used this analogy in a couple other circumstances and now it just keeps coming up where it's like a boxing match where it's like, yeah. you just have to keep punching them down and like and it's really tiring and sometimes you just like you just kind of collapse and and whatever happens you might just kind of ro roll with that and think it's the right thing and um ultimately the idea is that you just keep punching things down you you stay true but it's really hard um just based in like based on being someone um, that is interested in health in general for our own selves and then for other people because we want to promote accurate information and so I don't know I uh it's been it's been a whirlwind for for me to kind of try to figure out what that actually looks like um and then also kind of struggling with some trust I think with um conventional medicine and recommendations and stuff too did you ever struggle with with that as well I mean you kind of mentioned like why are we pr promoting these outdated things you know like <laughs> what uh how do you go about that like how would you how do you translate then what is more appropriate if it's not according to the those guidelines or something yeah and it's and like you said it's very tough you are in a boxing match and I'm not gonna lie like there's times where you just want to give up because I feel like for dietitians we're the least supported discipline when mm -hmm. it comes to other medical providers there's always someone constantly you know trying to say well this is what I recommend and it's like but you're not the expert like we are trained in this we know mm -hmm. what is happening in space we know what is best for the client in this uh, this you know situation so it's weird that you know we're not going and prescribing medication or anything or like giving diagnoses of things that aren't in our wheelhouse so it's weird that people feel the the need or the comfortability to even do so mm -hmm. but with that said <laughs> um I really try to spotlight and show that I'm here to help you do what's best for you so as long as it is ethically sound and safe in my opinion I think we are I'm willing to meet the client like where they are halfway mm -hmm. wherever they are 
wherever they're at in their journey to help them be more successful and more a sustainable approach and not even necessarily like a diet or anything. I'm never trying to take anything away. We're always focusing on adding and what mm-hmm. we can do to enhance your already current experience and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So how do you just with that, how do you navigate when folks come in wanting to do more elimination and restrictive diets? Like what do you, how do you go about kind of, I don't know, helping them like with that, like meeting them where they're at. And, but like, yeah. but also with the education that you have and kind of working with adding more things in what, what does that look like? So I play a little bit of a good cop, right? Always. So I'm always going to let them, you know, feel them out because everyone's different and what they're comfortable with. So it's all about starting off slow. So you have to figure out what they're going to be comfortable with doing because a lot of times the reason why they're there is because they want help. That's the first step, right? Because if they didn't want to have that assistance or help, they wouldn't be talking to me in the first place. So there is that willingness to learn and utilize you as a resource. So it's really just trying to see what steps they are looking to take, taking those steps. And then what usually happens is they start to feel better and they start to feel more comfortable and things start to improve with just that small step. And then they become more comfortable with adding more things. And so that's kind of been like my experience for the most part. Of course, Mm -hmm. there's going to be those people who don't buy into it, but I'm always like, well, give them some time and they'll be back. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times they are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I feel like it's just reminding me so much. I've been asked a lot of times why I don't work specifically with folks with type one, like exclusively. And, mm-hmm. um, and there's been like, like I was, so I would working with Ben was amazing. And I love like working with, I love working with the population hundred percent. I have also found that, um, that there is a lot of very strong feelings about food with folks with type one diabetes, particularly parents. Um, understandably. So there's kind of like a, um, I want my kid to grow up as a kid mentality. And then there's also on the other end, like, Hey, you're the parent, you have to make sure that they're doing everything appropriately. And it's, it's reckless to let them eat whatever they want. And, and then there's the other tier of, it's just a matter of like, timing insulin and whatever. There's so many different things, but so much of it is like very sticky around approaches with diet and food intake. And it like makes me feel very uncomfortable, I guess. Cause you just, it's like, you can, it's like walking on eggshells, right? We are here to educate. We are here to, to meet people where they're at, not force them to consume foods in any which direction, right? There's no blanketed diet that is the best. That's the whole thing. Um, but I feel like there is just this narrative of people just don't even want to meet with, um, a dietitian that isn't in the same boat as they are, or that might, might recommend something else. Like, I don't know. It's just a very, situation. Honestly, no, it's, and then I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's, it's very tough and it's interesting, but also some of that reinforcement is coming from some of their other visits with their other medical providers, which Mm -hmm. is part of the problem. So like, I think if we were to be able to streamline things and really let us be the expert and the person that they're coming to for nutrition, I think that would help to improve the process a little bit with the caveat being that there's just such a lack of understanding again, like knowing that again, the different types of diabetes, there's different things that are going on, but then also people within those types, we're all different. We're not a monolith. We're all different. So things are going to be different for me, you, whomever. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like the, the idea that there's not one size fits all is hard for people to digest, but it's, it's, it shouldn't be because we're all different, like just with mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah. Um, so it, it's just very interesting. I actually wrote an article the other day and I made the mistake of looking in the comments. That was a mistake, but people were like questioning my A1C because I recommended like yogurt and nuts and like beans. And they were saying that like, it had too many carbohydrates. And I was like, what is going mm. on? Like, <laughs> like, uh, and it was just funny because people, you know, as soon as you say something that they don't agree, agree with, they question your education, they question your licensure, your anything. And it's like, well, 
No, because these are the facts and I'm just simply providing them. It's not, it's not, you know, some magic spell book, whatever that I just randomly decided to make up. This is actually the evidence-based guidelines. This is actually what we should be doing per the guidelines. And it's not necessarily meant to be, you have to eat these foods, but it's just like, this is what I do and Mm -hmm. it works for me. And here we are. Yeah. Gosh, it just kind of, it reminds me of like a, my own experience with Mm -hmm. the questioning of recommendations and then B just like, Oh, just like, I feel like I'm feeling social media so much right now in terms of the, the population of folks that get, that have so much pushback and distrust in any organization. And, um, and sometimes I feel like it's, it can be founded. It can sometimes be like sort of legitimate in terms of their concern, right. Where it like, doesn't make sense to them. And, um, and I think that it's just, it's also narratives being pushed as well. Fear mongering and Mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know, almost conspiracy esque theories too. And that are just so very prevalent And I, it's just unfortunate because they get these messages like here, here, and here, but then uh, there's no one to like, be like, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So totally get it. Totally get it. You see that makes sense for sure. Here are all the caveats and the, all the other considerations to be taken, um, when you're actually deciding what you want to do for your own self, because we have all these other things to, you know, think about, um, even when, yes, of course it might be very valid that they're like, wait, why would they have cereal be recommended for someone with type two diabetes in the morning, you know, or whatever it is. It's like, you know, so we got to have a little bit of, um, curiosity and compassion for the confusion. Yeah. And it's just, it is an unfortunate battle too. It's a lot of boxing. A lot of boxing. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, okay. So what is I? Oh, um, kind of with that a little bit, I wanted to talk about continuous glucose monitors and what I have been seeing a lot with folks. So I actually see a lot of people on continuous glucose monitors um, in, in uh, my practice that do not have diabetes. Mm-hmm. And, and I see these folks come in also through the other company I work with nourish and they have so many concerns. And this, I think goes back to their, the bombardment in media of like, you should never have blood sugar spikes ever. If you have fluctuating blood sugars, it's going to lead to, um, significant, um, you know, repercussions in your metabolic health and longevity and like, whatever it's all this boom, 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 boom. And so I will see people that come in just scared, but also very obsessive. And, um, I personally find it a little triggering because I'm like, okay, so your blood sugar went up to 110 and you are freaking out. Um, (laughs) this is really hard to like, just take and be cool because, um, be great if my blood sugar was at 110 like for 80 percent of the time you know like i'm at 200 right now yeah yeah it's like and i'm you know of course like comparing myself to them it's like you know i would also ideally love to be in a lower range um most of the time but that doesn't mean i'm at 80 to 100 100 percent of the time to be a healthy individual so anyways here i am just like going at it so what do you, what are your thoughts with this? Like, even in terms of, like, I've also heard that continuous glucose monitors, um, and not really being on the back end of things, they're like the, one of the criticisms of people utilizing them is because it's taking away from the, per, like the, the supply that others might use. And I don't know the legitimacy of that. It's like, I kind of feel like it might be just doable to make more and it's just a company and they're just going to be making more money. And so, but there is like an argument that that is a thing, but in any case, I'm curious, what are your thoughts with it? Folks that do not have type or have diabetes at all. Um, do you feel like it's essential or not essential or useful? What do you think? So I'm going to tell this kind of gray area and the reason why, and so I shouldn't say gray area. I think people without any type of glucose, you know, 
like so people with like pre-diabetes or those type of folks i think can maybe benefit from Mm -hmm. cgm people who have like euglycemia and normal blood sugar levels i mean it's just like you said causing an uh, unnecessary obsession with Mm -hmm. foods um because like you said they'll go up like two points and they're like oh my gosh they're freaking out and it's like well you're supposed to fluctuate you need energy throughout the day that's Mm -hmm. normal and i think what people lose sight of and it's just causing this this unnecessary hysteria because it's like well now you're taking away that energy from for your brain your processes like things that you would need to do these things so like you might end up we don't know what happens if you're like in a straight line like what happens if you're in a straight line because you're not meant to be so I feel like we're like towing that very fine line of Mm. well it's not good to be on either extreme (laughs) because it could cause uh, some issues that we don't know of but you know like like you said like people I I basically I went to a primary care provider and I made the mistake of saying that I was a dietitian and diabetes educator (laughs) so I say I made the mistake because it opened up a conversation and I'm like lady I'm like on a time frame and I paid you a a copay so like now we're talking about this but basically (laughs) she was saying that um like a podcast she had listened to the person told her to like never eat basically said not to never eat oatmeal because oatmeal is like one of the worst foods ever and like she was saying that oh my gosh I gotta stop eating oatmeal and I'm like but why because you you don't have anything that is going on clinically and there's nothing to say and even if you did why would you not be eating oatmeal like there's ways to actually change and make it enhance it and make it better but it's not to say to take it away completely especially if that's something you enjoy Mm -hmm. so it's definitely seeing things like that and people you know overreacting I think and then causing more issues with relationships with food and that's just going to open up a whole nother avenue that we already don't need because we already have so many things causing those problems already so I don't know so it's like you know in certain situations I think it could be helpful but people with like euglycemia who are like you know, athletes and, and doing these things that don't necessarily need to know. Yeah. I think it's, I think, I think so much of it is a lack of education prior to getting it, you know? And it's like, there's companies now that have linked up, um, with the CGM companies that will literally like have like a weight loss zone of like, and it's varies from person to person. And I'm like, what, like how, Talk to me about the research and like evidence around being in that zone and helping it, helping you lose weight. Like I'm just like, A, I just hate the the focus on weight anyways, but like, it's just this curiosity of what, like, oh gosh. And so now we're getting so many folks that have already a complicated relationship with food um, coming in with a continuous glucose monitor, not understanding the science and the normal reactions of blood glucose. And in addition to the other components of health, it's like when people get so hyper-focused on one metric, it's, I feel like it is very damaging and having better education around, again, the nuance of health, like all of the different pillars and influences and like, highlighting that to pull a little bit of pressure off oneself. Like, of course, if you are having, you know, I don't know, a milkshake and a burger that wreaks a little bit of like havoc on your blood sugars, like every day or a couple times a day or whatever it is, or, or never pairing food with protein and fat, like these things, it's like, okay, maybe we want to like, think about that a little bit and know that it's okay to eat these foods and know that, you know, like, Hey, where's the education around this versus get a continuous glucose monitor. This will help you lose weight, or this will help you peak performance. If you stay in this range. And if you never have foods that spike you up, it's like, what's the takeaway there? How is that helping people eat better? Like, I don't know. It's just kind of, or the other thing I see is people obsessively like whenever they see their blood sugar going up obsessively like moving and walking. And again, it's like, yes, it's, it's good to move after a meal, like hundred percent, but it will be like the energy behind it will be in such a stressed fashion that it is um, it's just obsessive. And, and, and to me just kind of unhealthy versus like looking at a meal, kind of understanding like, Oh yeah. Okay. Kind of high carb, maybe a little bit less balanced than usual, 
I could probably walk after her. That might be a good idea, you know, probably feel pretty good too, because it's kind of heavy. Right. Um, but if I don't, that's gonna be okay too. And yeah. you know, moving along. I don't know. It's just uh, it's a lot. It's yeah, it's a lot, and it's scary because it feels like that food is becoming the scapegoat for everything, and mm-hmm. food is not the only factor. It's 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 just not <laughs> even with you know with diabetes without diabetes. And it's unfortunate because again, it's being vilified and it doesn't need to be like, it's very source. It's just nourishment, right? You can have a cheeseburger one day and then the next day you have a salad and there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's just life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's just you choosing what was best for you in that moment or what you wanted in that moment. And that's Mm -hmm. a-okay. And I think, you know, like I, I feel people have such this black and white thinking when it comes to food, when it really isn't that it, it shouldn't be. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, just like with everything else there's just like no black and white thinking right totally it's it's complicated there's you know all different types of factors all different types of things environments weather your mood stress everything it's like dehydration levels that come into play so it's like why are we focusing solely on one factor when there's a myriad of things going on and it just like you said a lot that education is lacking but then i also start to wonder well, maybe it's lacking in, you know, some of the people that are giving this education because maybe they just don't know either. Maybe they weren't mm-hmm. taught or maybe there's just a, a a need for that to really. And again, that's where the dietitian comes in and involving us in these conversations. But with that said, there's also some dietitians who do feel that way. So, totally. it's, yeah, it's hard to know. Oh, I know. And that is another thing that is very challenging, I think, for all of us to be able to actually like trust a practitioner in any single field, right? Like, um, honestly, there are doctors out there that really frustrate me with their approach with, um, like, you know, how classically speaking, right. Just putting pills in people's hands, not really talking and walking them through how to improve health, just saying, lose weight and, or take this pill or, you know, whatever it is. There's also doctors out there that really get to know the, the, the patient and refer them out effectively to get more additional help. And there's also functional medicine practitioners that I think are extremely talented in really diving into a, the a holistic approach, looking at a, an individual. And there are also others that are super scammy with supplements and don't really and have you spend a ton yeah. of money on tests and like without getting anywhere. And so like, I mean, and then there's dietitians that, you know, might have extremely restrictive approaches that, that don't really dive into the nuance of health and, and really get to know even the, the psychological and physiological effects of, of food with individuals. And then that leaves people confused and, you know, like not really feeling confident going to another dietitian. And so it's unfortunate because we technically all need to have the same training, right? Similar-ish, right? I mean, there's going to be differences with, internships and professors and all of that. Right. And so it would be great if we could all kind of have the same baseline. And it just, I, I just do not feel like that's the case, unfortunately. And then it also just really depends on how a person continues to educate themselves thereafter and jobs that they have. Like, um, I don't know, my girlfriend, Erica, that I had just interviewed, like she was, we went to the same program same program and she is like an all foods fit chick she did it's a flavorful life I don't know if you follow her but like um but she like she has been strong in her all foods fit of fits approach for so long and like so she's going here like just steady eddie like and, and doing crazy wonderful beautiful healthy delicious foods promoting this and I am like Oh, wellness culture. Oh, fasting. Oh, keto. Oh, this, you know, and all after we graduated from the same exact program, like I was just all over the place with my approaches and have now kind of come to a some clarity. So mm-hmm. it's like, I understand that dietitians can kind of go off the rockers sometimes. And well, I don't know. I don't want to say that too much, but like, you know, there can be confusion and I'm not saying I've got it all figured out, but I have a lot more than I had before in terms of really, truly understanding what health is. And so, uh, I don't know, there's just, um, it's, it's really hard to navigate. And so 
I, I wish I had a solution. I mean, like, I wish I had a, a little bit more of a, I think it's just getting to know the people though. Maybe that's why social media can be kind of helpful is like you follow them, you see if they're helpful, maybe, I don't know. I How would that, you I recommend? No, I think that is what it is. So you get to know the person. And I think like too, on social media, it's just a small snapshot. So it's not really going to be necessarily like an accurate depiction of what that person thinks or they might be doing things to really boost more engagement and so you might not get like more of a realistic picture yeah but like to, to your point too I feel like with the functional medicine within the dietetic field for some reason I, I I feel like that is kind of like a a topic that is like that should be discussed but isn't being discussed but also mm-hmm. if we do discuss it it's kind of like a no-no and it's like well we shouldn't because we we do still see evidence of these things being helpful to populations anecdotally historically mm-hmm. and it can be a, a used as a compliment it doesn't mean that it has to be a replacement or it kind of just depends on the person right so it's like that part I feel like I hope would change. <laughs> yeah. But, and then like you said too, it is dependent on that person's environment and where they are and what they're hearing on a day-to-day basis or what. Oh gosh. Yeah. Else. So it's like, mm-hmm. there's just so many factors and things impacting things. And I don't, and I feel like a lot of us aren't necessarily in tune with the Academy. So I think that's part of it too, because if they were, mm, how do I say this? <laughs> we're all kind of like, able to you know feel comfortable in their abilities to kind of uh lead us and advocate and be you know a a leaning pillar of the community I think that they could help really drive some of that basic knowledge or common knowledge that totally the the occupation would have so yeah yeah totally I feel like that academy has been a little bit of less of a pillar, (laughs) Um, uh, less, less stable (laughs) for many. Um, But, uh, but um, like, I don't know, there are, I want to validate people with their concerns because I personally have totally understood it as well. Um, It's also like staying open-minded, I think, and kind of getting in tune a little bit with like, does this feel right? Like, does this feel like it makes sense? And if something is like, telling you to just have like be a car- I don't know just keep thinking about like the carnivore carnivore whatever like research will come potentially right. but um but sometimes that just doesn't feel right to a person you know right. and uh and you know I do think that people just taking your health into your own hands and really listening to your gut and trying things out, super important. And I think finding practitioners that really try to look at your health from multiple lenses and angles. And I'm not talking about just like functional medicine root cause stuff. Although I do like think it's helpful to have a lens of taking a look deeper, but Um, but you know, practitioners that really consider more than one blanketed, um, approach and intervention, um, without taking a look at things uh, like the nuance, the nuance of health, man. I mean, it's an, as a dietitian, it's so like interesting how much we also talk about, stress management and sleep management and movement and finding things that give you juice, right? Like I talk about every single session, you know, it's like, we talk about so much more than just nutrition because it is all very connected and it is so helpful to have people recognize that. And, um, and, but it is, it is sometimes hard to find those that, that you can relate to. And so, yeah, but yeah it's worth the look it's definitely worth the look because definitely are out there right you Mm -hmm. you can find that person you mess with the best but you know it's always to my surprise when someone is not so it's like you know I even get fooled myself so it's like just do your research and it's okay to to say hey I don't feel like we're a good fit like just look Mm -hmm. at anything else and I hope that you know my clients would know that too that if you don't feel like we're working together well, then I'll be happy to help you find somebody or go ahead and 100%. Find yeah, it will help. Totally. Be 
And it, cause mm -hmm. it's all the, the main goal is just to make you feel better and help to heal your relationship and help you feel better. And that should be it mm -hmm. at its very core, no matter yeah. what. Totally. So. Totally. My heart just aches for people that are really struggling with, with health issues and trialing diet after diet after diet and with to no avail, but so much money spent and like, it is, uh, I don't know. And, and that's a whole other rabbit hole. Cause there's obviously so many different health conditions too, but, um, I feel like that is another area that is just so problematic with, with social media and otherwise just with people throwing anecdotal recommendations to folks, um, like, yeah. And, but then also having them be really like let down going to their doctors. Like yeah. it's just, it's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, that reflection is turned back internally and you think it's something wrong with them. And it's not, it's like, just because this person is selling this program about what worked for them and doing it for everybody doesn't mean that it's going to work for you mm. because we're all different. <laughs> yeah, so. totally. Well, Bridget, I want to be respectful of your time. Anything else that we kind of missed today that you uh, feel like you want to touch on or um, chat Not about? Really. I feel like we covered a lot. This is a great chat, but basically, you know, just no food is not the only thing, but mm -hmm. you'll find that right person. Just keep on looking and, you know, mm -hmm. inhale that relationship. Food, so. Yeah, totally. Well, where can people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Balance with Bridget Wood, but I'm also on the Glucose blog. So Gluco has a blog called Healthy Living and Eating with Bridget Wood, myself. <laughs> you can find me on there as well. Awesome. <laughs> and that is G-L-O-O-K-O. -O. Yes. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Bridget. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Thank you. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. If you found this information valuable, please share this episode and give it a review. They truly help a ton. If you want additional support and information, you can head over to my website, teresemartinezrd.com, where you can snag my free guide on how to improve your hunger signals, get on my email list for regular juicy content, or apply for the next round of my signature program, Restoring Nutrition Intuition. Otherwise, Instagram at Therese Martinez RD or my Facebook group Fed Fit and Fad Free Nutrition with Therese are always places for more content and support. Until next time.